Back to nuclear energy. From Europe to Asia, a number of countries are building new nuclear power plants. The aim is to reduce blackouts and energy dependence. But is it the right solution and what are the risks? I'm Hashim Ahbara and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests from London, Jonathan Cobb is a senior analyst at World Nuclear Association from Castle Douglas, Scotland. Sean Burney is a senior nuclear specialist at Greenpeace East Asia. And Phil Chaffee is deputy editor of Nuclear Intelligence Weekly and the Bureau Chief for Energy Intelligence London office. Welcome to the programme. Jonathan, is it safe to say that it is because of the soaring energy prices that many countries are now rethinking their policies, opting to move forward towards uh, nuclear energy, which this abandoned about a few years ago. I think what has happened with the, the energy crisis that's affecting some parts of the world has added to the impetus to move forward with building new nuclear capacity. Um, before that, the issue of climate change uh, had been something that had already started to reignite attention on nuclear energy for those countries who hadn't built it for some time. But certainly the energy crisis is something that has raised interest because of the concerns over the reliance on very fragile fossil fuel supply chains, um, chains that have caused incredible increases in prices. And so it really is an advantageous situation that the same aims in terms of climate drivers of going to low carbon forms of electricity and energy like nuclear, like renewables, they are also the solutions that can help provide more stable and resilient uh, energy supply chains. Mm -hmm. Sean, you have many countries saying that with the upcoming winter, the supply crunch, there's absolutely no way we can cope with this and that the risks from that in particular outweigh in any other fallout from moving forward towards embracing nuclear energy? Do you think this is the right decision? It's absolutely not the right decision. And the reality is a lot more complicated. And if we take, for example, France, which is over 70% of its electricity generated by nuclear, they're moving into winter uh, facing an energy crisis because currently about half, more than half of the reactor fleet are shut down. But a quarter of the reactors are not going to restart this winter because they're aging and they're corroding. So the energy crisis that has been triggered by the Russian illegal invasion of Ukraine is absolutely an energy crisis. But there's no plans for nuclear in the coming months that will change that. Uh, We see lots of headlines about countries reassessing the viability of nuclear power. Those realities, if those reactors were ever to start being built, would be a decade or more. So they're not going to solve any energy crisis that is currently a reality. Mm -hmm. Phil, when you have a country like like Japan, which continues to be haunted by the uh, uh, by the uh, what happened at the Fukushima disaster, saying that they will start investing more in nuclear power. How do you see this decision in particular? Is it suddenly because this concern about soaring prices that is triggering many countries to rethink their policy uh, energy decisions? So about Japan specifically, the government almost since the day of Fukushima, the national government has asked, has pushed for reactors to be restarted. 
Um, the, the problem is getting local consent there, if that's your question. So mm -hmm. just because the current president says he, he wants to, to, to really increase the amount of nuclear generation happening doesn't mean there's a switch he can pull and then suddenly all of these reactors will restart. So it's still going to be a struggle in Japan for them to really ramp up their nuclear generation in the short term. Jonathan, uh, do you buy into the justification that you get from most of these countries saying that, you know what, this time with smaller, safer reactors, life is going to be easier, much better than before, and the potential for a much bigger radiation or disaster is going to be uh, less than before? I think small modular reactors offer their advantages, that's true. But we need to differentiate between taking the action now in terms of building new capacity of, of nuclear and new capacity of other low carbon sources of generation as part of a long term strategy to improve in the long term and permanently uh, our energy systems to make them low carbon, to make them secure. And then separately, the steps that can be taken for the next year, for the next two or three years, maybe that will need to cope with that emergency situation we have in terms of soaring prices. And in the case of France, it's not the case that all those reactors shut at the moment are shut because of the corrosion issue. Some are shut down because of regular maintenance that it always takes place in the summer in France when energy demand tends to be lower. And those reactors going through that standard uh, form of uh, outage would be coming back online to help meet the energy needs in the winter. Sean, this is happening at the, uh, against the backdrop of international concerns about uh, uh, safety at the Zaporizhia uh, nuclear plant, which is the largest in Europe. But even with those concerns, you, we get a sense that the public opinion itself is now more receptive to the idea of investing more in the nuclear uh, power. Yeah, I've just come back from Ukraine and Chernobyl and you see what happens when nuclear goes wrong. Uh, and we're still in a situation where things could go terribly wrong as Zaporizhia. Um, the reality is that nuclear power cannot compete in the marketplace. So what we found is that nuclear power operators, utilities, the industry, W Nuclear, World Nuclear Association, they're spending enormous amounts of effort to convince policymakers that they are essential to meeting the decarbonized world that we absolutely need. The reality is that they're losing out to renewables. In the 1970s, when nuclear power was supposed to be growing substantially, uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency said maybe 2,000 reactors by the year 2000. We heard those arguments then. Renewables were not available on the scale that they are today. We look at Europe, 2020, more energy was generated in electricity terms from renewables than both fossils and nuclear. So the industry has a crisis. The, the rhetoric, the media headlines, it won't change the reality, which is if you have to decarbonize as fast as possible, you don't invest in nuclear power, you invest in renewables, and you invest in energy efficiency and decentralized. That's the crisis that the industry is facing, mm -hmm. and they're currently doing a very good job of selling their technology, but the reality will see the end of nuclear power. Phil, when, when, when you look at, uh, at the map globally, you see a trend which is basically more countries uh, returning to uh, nuclear 
energy. And when it comes to this in particular, they are either building new reactors or extending the lifespan of the aging reactors. What are we talking here about? More investments, refurbishing those old ones, and what are the risks that come along with uh, refurbishing the old reactors? So, so yeah, it, the, the near-term uh, increases in nuclear capacity or extensions of nuclear capacity are in places like Belgium or potentially Germany um, or California most recently, where they have made these policy U-turns to extend the life of reactors. There are obviously risks. The older these reactors get, the materials within them, um, the systems all are aging as well. But uh, when, when regulators extend their lives, uh, they are trying to enforce uh, safety regulations that will extend the lives safely. Whether or not they, that's always done is unclear. And particularly once we get past 60 years to 80 years of operation for reactors that were initially designed for 40 years, you're really going into terra incognita, where it's a bit unclear uh, all of the issues to come, such as uh, some of the issues they found in France. So uh, there are capital costs to extending lifetimes, particularly into the decades past the design life. But it's possible, and uh, it's possible to do it safely. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, what, what does this mean now for, the, for clean energy? Are we likely to see it take a back burner position for more investment into uh, reactors? I think for clean energy, that's nuclear and renewables. That is the clean energy future. And as I said, what I hope is that the energy crisis is something that's going to lead governments to decide to actually move much more quickly to move to decarbonisation, to move to clean energy, because there simply hasn't been the progress there should have been over the last 20 years, uh, despite the, the increases in some forms of uh, low carbon generation that there have been. So right now, about 60-65% of our electricity generation comes from fossil fuels. That has virtually not dropped for 20 years at a time when we're meant to be moving to net zero. So we simply are not going forward fast enough with decarbonisation, and it's absolutely the wrong time to remove any option from the things that we're going to need to do to reach net zero by 2050, which is such an essential target to reach. Sean, China is putting billions of dollars to further expand its nuclear capability in terms of reactors. Uh, so are the Indians, the Chinese, the, the, the Turks are building a, uh, with the help of Russia, a nuclear reactor. So are the Egyptians and many other countries will be now tempted to move forward. Uh, are we here moving into an uncharted territory? Are the risks growing higher? Well, absolutely, the risks are growing higher. The reality, of course, in China is that, yes, there are is enormous nuclear power program in China, but that's dwarfed by the amount of electricity that's being produced and installed in terms of renewables. Um, the reality is that the nuclear industry globally uh, is inter interconnected. So the World Nuclear Association, for example, has Rosatom on its board of directors. The Russian nuclear industry, uh, which are currently is attempting to steal a Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, they are active in many countries around the world, supported by the World Nuclear Association, the IEA. This is not a sustainable uh, long-term solution to decarbonisation. It also raises enormous security issues in terms of the production of nuclear materials, fissile materials, plutonium, that can be used for nuclear weapons. 
And we know that international safeguards are not, inade are not inadequate to prevent proliferation. So th there's a, an incredibly complex assessment that needs to be made mm -hmm. about the future of nuclear power. But the idea that it's going to be rapidly deployed to save the climate, it's about saving the nuclear industry. That's what this is about. Phil, you get a sense at the same time that uh, leaders are perplexed in a way or another as to how to move forward. I'll give you an example. State of California passes this climate legislation package, which includes $50 billion of investment into renew clean energy. But at the same time, they're saying that we need to halt the closure of the state's last nuclear power because they do understand the potential for shortages in the near future. Are we likely to move forward in that particular di direction, which has been cautiously moving towards renewable energy, but at the same time, we need to maintain the old and, uh, tr uh, and traditional sources of energy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this highlights something. Sean has pointed out um, that there is this, most of these investments in new nuclear capacity or potentially even nuclear lifetime extensions are very long-term things. And I think it's hard for leaders to think about uh, the energy grid of 2030 or 2035 or 2040 when they're facing soaring costs and uh, climate issues now. But in 2030 and 2040, you're still going to have these climate pressures. So they have to be thinking about both. Whether or not uh, the, the loan that was passed in California will be enough to extend the life of Diablo Canyon, that, that reactor in question um, is unclear. I think there's still going to be a lot of negotiations and there's a lot of uh, regulatory issues and safety issues and environmental issues with that plant that have to be cleared before it can really operate um, for a longer period of time. Jonathan, some of these decisions are ultimately going to boil down to uh, political consensus. In Germany, for example, for the chancellor to move forward with uh, uh, moving, building more reactors, they have to have the backing of the Green. Do you think that the Green parties, particularly in Europe, are willing to take the risk of approving those measures, knowing that they could undermine their credibility? Well, I think in the case of Germany, what's being discussed at the moment is whether or not two of the three remaining reactors that are in operation there and that are due to close down at the end of this year are going to continue operating. But certainly it's a case that uh, some Green parties are changing their position. So the Green Party in Finland has adopted a, a much more positive position on nuclear energy. Um, so it's certainly something that can be done. And I think we are going to see more of it as we go forward because the timetables in which we have to act to address climate change are getting so tight. And mm -hmm. it is one where nuclear can address uh, in, the, in the short term and in the long term. So there are 60 reactors just under, under construction now. So we're not starting from zero. Those will be coming online over the next five years. It generates 10% of electricity already. So it is a form of energy that's contributing now, but we do need to expand it to make a bigger contribution in the future. Sean, initially, you would think that the general consensus would be particularly following the war in Ukraine and the soaring uh, uh, energy prices. People would say nuclear reactors are risky. Fossil fuel is really bad affecting us. It is the moment to seize on that and move forward toward renewables. And this is not exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing totally countries moving the opposite direction. Well, I think the headlines would give you that impression. The industrial and energy policy reality is extremely different. 
the renewables are growing so exponentially, they're not growing fast enough. And one of the problems is we have debates constantly about the role of nuclear, which distorts the whole priority that we need to look at energy policy in a serious way. Germany, of course, has made big mistakes relying on German gas to the extent that it has. The, the Merkel administration clearly would admit that that was a big mistake. But the idea that nuclear is going to provide the energy security in a decarbonized world, that's just fantasy. It's just not going to happen. I, I spent 30 years working in Japan. Um, the 54 reactors that were available in 2011, less than less than 10 have actually restarted. I think it's currently nine. There's about six currently operating. Um, the idea that they're going to return to any significant electricity generation in Japan, a few more reactors are going to get approval to restart, almost certainly, within the next year. Shimani 2, Onagawa, Tokai. But the actual energy demands of Japan are so enormous that they've already said, as of last year, that the, the long-term solution for Japan is renewables. That's mm -hmm. the reality, not just for Japan, but for the world. Phil, how do you see the world moving forward in the near future? Are we likely to see this push towards uh, people rethinking the whole uh, energy policies? Are we likely to see more people stepping in and saying, no, it's about time to look at the renewables in a different fashion? How do you see the future of the ge geopolitics of energy? <laughs> a big question. Um, specifically on nuclear, there as Jonathan said at the beginning, the crisis that's picked up, particularly since uh, February um, with Ukraine, um, has sort of basically just underlined the policies of those countries that were already setting on nuclear as a solution. Obviously, beyond nuclear, we've had a lot of countries rethinking how, uh, how quickly or whether they want to phase out things like coal natural gas as fast as they previously thought. But in terms of nuclear itself, there's only been a couple policy U-turns, such as California, mm -hmm. Belgium. Um, so it, it's hard to say how much more that will happen. I think it basically this crisis is just adding traction to a lot of the pre-existing arguments. Jonathan, if this is just the stress that came after the war in Ukraine and also the soaring oil prices. What about the other option, which is basically, do you think it's going to be tempting and attractive to the world leaders, which is saying that let's put all the investments into solar, wind and geothermal energies. These, could, these have the potential to answer some of the problems that we are facing, since you all agree on the fact that nuclear energy is not going to be able to afford all the needs of the global community. Equally, I don't think at the moment there is a likely prospect of any one of those other technologies you mentioned also being able to be the one solution that provides all of the world's energy. And I would agree, in a sense, to what Sean was saying about I wish there wasn't this simple focus on nuclear in energy policy uh, or times when there's attacks on renewables in energy policy. I think we should not be fighting amongst ourselves as solutions to climate change, as low carbon options, mm -hmm. uh, because that is slowing down mm -hmm. the movement towards decarbonisation, because arguing amongst ourselves, instead of looking forward to actually getting a practical solution that uses all of these mm -hmm. different options together to get the best energy mix, the most resilient, low carbon, mm -hmm. reliable and affordable mix there can be by combining all their strengths. Sean and Phil, I have uh, one question for you, less than a minute, if you don't mind. 
Is there any concern here that world leaders might trap their own nations if they move forward with the nuclear energy because they, then they will be dragged into the fossil fuel and this could just take ages for nations to resolve? I'll start with you, Sean. Sorry, I'm not sorry if you could repeat the question. Do you again, just have any sure concerns that if we move forward towards the direction of nuclear energy, we will just be trapped mm -hmm. forever and then we will forget about uh, alternative uh, energy sources? Well, I think politicians really need to understand long term uh, how energy is going to be supplied mm -hmm. to their population. It's an absolute priority. How do they do that? They need to understand energy economics. Most politicians do not understand those things. Okay. Um, well, yeah, it's, Phil, it's a massive challenge. Phil, in less than 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, I don't think politicians want to focus on one energy source. They have to think about systems and they have to think about shooting on multiple uh, cylinders. Jonathan Cobb, Sean Burney, Phil Chaffee, I really appreciate in your insight. Thank you very much indeed. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohammed Al-Aishi, Nihad Al-Abidi, Isaba Ubultu, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was Sasha Andriyevich. The program was edited by Ahmed Atfaga, Lynn Gwynn, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Monday.